0: Please open your Bibles uh, to James, chapter 2. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find that on page 854. Uh, To remind you where we were last week in chapter 1, or to uh, catch you up if you weren't here uh, with us last week in our, our current sermon series in the book of James, The Subtle Art of Living Well... Uh, Last week, we took a somewhat discomforting but honest look at ourselves in the mirror of God's Word. Uh, There, we saw that James warns us about corrupt religion. And we did it on a very uh, personal level, uh, not using a magnifying glass to look at other people, but to hold up a mirror to ourselves. Religion is corrupt, remember, when we fail to hear God's Word. Religion is corrupt when we fail to do God's Word. Religion is corrupt when we fail to control our tongues. It was a discomforting but honest look in the mirror, wasn't it? Now, I want to comfort you, because if you are feeling convicted, if you're feeling convicted by what you heard in James last week, as you took that honest look in the mirror this week, if you are feeling convicted, I want to just take a moment to comfort you. Uh, Not by anything that I can say, but really what James uh, says to us. If you're feeling convicted, know that you are are someone who is hearing God's Word. That if you are feeling convicted this past week as you look in the mirror, it is because you are someone who is seeking to do God's Word. Now that doesn't mean we stay there, but be comforted in being convicted. That you have a living and active faith. The God is wonderfully at work in you, uh, to grow you in faith and godliness. You are learning the subtle art of living well. Now last week we finished at verse 27. Chapter 1, verse 27. We skimmed over it very briefly as it talked about religion positively and we were looking at the corruption But let's go there now. Chapter 1, verse 27 Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James is positive about religion, it's a positive word and a positive concept for him. Religion is belief lived out. For James and for us, there is to be no divorce between belief and behaviour. There's to be no separation between what we know and what we do. And so what we're seeing in James, this biblical wisdom, is true religion, a pure religion. It's, it's more than making us nice people. Living well in the world is more than making the world a better place. James is describing a life that reflects Jesus being at the centre of it, a life that's been turned right side up by Jesus just as James' life was. It's a life that is living out Jesus' values in this world and into eternity. Before we jump into this next section of James, chapter 2, it'll be helpful for us to have some of Jesus' words in our mind. I'm going to put some on the screen from Luke, chapter 6. Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount I can't remember if I read this, I probably did, it probably isn't my own original idea. I wonder how much James's letter is a kind of commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm seeing lots of echoes and reflections there, you might keep that in mind here. These are some things that Jesus said. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A couple of things that Jesus says about the rich and the poor in this world and what he says about good and bad fruit that what we see on the outside comes up out of our heart. As James is going to tell us about living well in the world, not just making the world a nicer place or being nicer people, but it reflects the goodness of Jesus that is coming up out of our hearts that affects what we think and what we say and what we do. Now James takes all this and in chapter 2 applies Jesus' values with a particular focus to the subtle art of living well when the poor cross our path. We've got chapter 2 in front of you. James chapter 2 says this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder you have become a lawmate lawbreaker speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful mercy triumphs over judgment if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want Now, what we've just read captures a very clear and specific application in verse 1. Don't show favoritism. Don't privilege the rich over the poor. Don't see a distinction. Don't discriminate uh, between the two. James is very clear and very specific on this application. But before we get right into these verses, it's important to note who James' command is directed to in relation to Jesus. Verse 1. My brothers and sisters, his way of describing family, those who belong to the family of God, those who have come under the lordship of Jesus, those who are living a life of repentance and faith, those who are brothers and sisters in the faith, in the church, believers, he says, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't noticed yet in James, he doesn't mention Jesus' death at all. He doesn't really mention the facts of the Gospel. He doesn't mention Jesus' resurrection. He doesn't mention Jesus' ascension. Kind of all those things are assumed. But one thing that James does with this particular word glorious, it's kind of his shorthand way of capturing all of that. See, he describes Jesus here as glorious, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who was defeated death. He is glorious because he is the one who has ascended to God's right hand in heaven, the one who has a glorious rule over all things and everything into eternity. And so for James, no thing and no one can compare to Jesus' glory. And so as brothers and sisters in the faith, as believers together in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, anyone who recognises Jesus' glory over everything will know that our criteria for measuring any other kind of glory and value is insignificant. With, with our own view, we might look out on, on people who are this much richer than us and this much poorer than us. But in light of Jesus' immeasurable glory, that scale just gets much, much closer together. And so gold rings and fine clothes are meaningless before the riches of Christ. Amongst brothers and sisters, filthy old clothes are meaningless before the riches of Christ. James addresses us as brothers and sisters, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ and in, and in light of that there is to be no favouritism. James goes as far to say that favouritism is evil. Verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated, shown favoritism amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. At the moment at which that favouritism or that kind of discrimination comes into our minds, comes into our hearts, comes into our attitudes, that is evil. Gatherings of believers that honour Jesus will stand out in the world for the way that they welcome the rich and the poor together. I think about this for a moment, our weekly gathering here in this hall should stand out as the most welcoming group that uses this building at any time. More welcoming than the, uh, the religious group that comes in here afterwards uh, from India. More welcoming than the, the skipping club that meets here on Saturdays more welcoming than the Lego Club, more welcoming than after-school care, more welcoming than a school assembly, more welcoming than a polling booth that might be here in several weeks. Our weekly gathering should be the most welcoming. Is it? With a diversity of rich and poor together? I think, honestly, we might be doing quite okay at this, but we need to keep asking this question. Is there any favoritism or unintended discrimination that might be keeping people away from us? How will we go at genuinely welcoming the high flyer and the homeless? Genuinely welcoming the the banker and the bogan, the celebrity and the criminal, the royalty and the refugee... putting a value on a comparison uh, is uh, completely meaningless in light of Jesus' glory. You know, God's way historically and what we see in the New Testament is is to choose the socially poor. James recognises that in verse 5. It's reflected in Jesus' values like those few verses from the Sermon on the Mount that we read a moment ago. These are the values that we're to be learning in the subtle art of living well. As James goes on, he brings up the simple principle and command of loving our neighbour as ourselves, verse 8. But immediately, James warns us that while it's a simple principle to subscribe to, it's a hard one to live out. Favoritism easily sneaks back in. Let me give you a very practical Example of this, which is something that we live with here at New Life. One of the things that I think we do really, really well is being aware of one one another needs where a simple meal will help somebody along. Uh, Perhaps the new baby in the family, somebody who's sick, uh, grieving, stressed at work, uh, finances not in such a good place. Uh, I know that behind the scenes there are lots of meals being shared almost all the time not organised by some official church roster, but by our ministry leaders and other caring people looking out and, and providing meals, sharing meals through, through rosters and, 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 and one-offs. It, it, it's a wonderful thing of, of sharing with one another when we're in need. Are we looking for and finding just as many opportunities to provide meals for the poor? Now, I've got an answer for that. <laughs> if James was sitting here, I want to say to James, well, well, th- these are the people that I'm in relationship with, uh, the people in my, in my small group, the, the people who uh, come and visit me in my office, uh, they're the people that, that are right in front of me. I, I'm, I'm seeing their need and I'm doing something about it. And I think James would say, Russell, brother, Open your eyes. Do you know how many homeless people you walked past this week? Do you know how many children were dropped off for school here this week who don't have enough food that come across the church car park that walk past your office window? Russell, brother, open your eyes. James says, verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But, verse 9, if you show favouritism, if you bias your love of your neighbour in a particular way that's towards the people that you are only related to or only connected to, those who are doing well, those people that you are comfortable with, you sin. And you're convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. Where favoritism creeps in, we are not really loving our neighbor. If I'm more kind to people who are like me than I am to the poor, I don't love both the rich and the poor as I love myself. This point, I am outside the law that gives freedom to live well. When we do really love our neighbour with generous mercy, we show that we are people who know God's mercy. This is James' point in verse 12. Verse 12. He says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law. That gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Not that mercy defeats judgment, mercy smashes through it, but it's a kind of, it's related to the word here, um, uh, boast or exalt. Mercy exalts over judgment. We show that we are people who know God's mercy. And we will not be judged. Here's point one for today. There's no favouritism in comparison to the glory of Jesus when we really love our neighbour with mercy. Now point two. This is faith that works. This is theology with our sleeves rolled up. This is belief with blisters. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Whoa! Aren't... We saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. I was converted, reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, especially Russell. Whoa! Did you feel a little bit uncomfortable when we read this before, going... I know this is here in James or perhaps not known this here in Bible, and this is just not what I'm expecting. There's not a contradiction in the New Testament. Contrary to what Martin Luther might have said, he, he didn't want James to be in the Bible, didn't think it passed the grade, thought James was deluded. Let me do it just really simply and you might like to think about this more or read into it more. What Paul is addressing, what Paul is setting up a distinction of. Paul, who wrote Ephesians, Paul, who wrote Romans, Paul, whom, if we've been a believer for a little while, is pretty familiar with. Paul distinguishes between human works of the law, obeying God's Old Testament law and the sacrificial system, and all the other. Uh, laws that were introduced by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the, of the Jewish sects in the first century. Paul is distinguishing between human works of the law and God's grace in salvation, what God does to save. Now James is kind of clarifying something, not, not correcting Paul, but he's talking particularly about what is faith? It's not just an agreement to facts about Jesus. You see, faith alone is not just, well, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross and that he that he rose again. James says verse 19, even the demons believe that. That is not faith. James wants us to see that faith is a whole of life reorientation round about Jesus. It is a belief and a behaviour thing. He wants us to see that faith works. In both ways you can interpret that phrase. Faith works. And verse 15, particularly in the care of the poor. This part of the letter, brings James to a very clear point and a spirit-inspired conviction that we need to hear and be cut to the heart with. A lively faith cares generously for the poor. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. A lively faith cares generously for the poor. That is a faith that works. Uh, Very briefly, James goes on to say, well, look at Abraham. Abraham had a working faith, verse 22... You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Rahab, who didn't even belong to God's Old Testament people but knew enough about them and about God that she might work out her faith. She believed and she did something. Faith is never without works. Verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Jesus once told a story... He was telling it about himself. He said, when the Son of Man gathers all the nations before his glorious throne into eternity, he will sort people out. He will sort people out like a shepherd might separate sheep from goats. One on this side and the other group on this side. And Jesus goes on to say, calling the Son of Man a king, he says, the king will say to the sheep, enter into the kingdom of my Father. Take what is coming for you in the kingdom. All that is good. And the king says, here's why. Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick. You stopped and visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the sheep say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? When, when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king answers, whenever you did one of these things to someone who was overlooked or ignored, that was me you did it for. Then Jesus turns to the goats, not you people, the ones in the story and Jesus says to the goats, get out, get out of here you worthless goats "'You are good for nothing but the fires of an eternal hell. "'Because I was hungry and you did not feed me. "'I was thirsty and you did not even give me a drop to drink. "'I was homeless, you gave me no bed. "'I was shivering. "'You gave me nothing to cover myself. "'I was sick. "'I was in prison.' You didn't visit, you didn't even know where I was. And the goats say, Master, what are you talking about? When were you hungry or, or, or thirsty? Or, or, when were you, you homeless or, or shivering or, or sick or in prison and we didn't, have, we didn't see it? Can you hear Jesus' answer? This is one of the mirror moments of James. A little bit discomforting, looking in the mirror of God's Word. Care of the poor is not about being nice people not about making the world a nicer place. It's not a little hobby horse that James has for making his world a better place. James is deeply convicted by the teaching of his older brother and his master and he wants us to, to learn the subtle art of living well when the poor cross our path. How do we do it? I've lived in the world long enough to know that seeing the poor is one thing, being convicted about being a person that 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 should be helping, but what do I do? What's What's going to be helpful? What's going to be practical? What's going to be sensible? What's going to be safe? What does this person actually need? You've experienced that, haven't you? Yeah. As this conviction lands with us today, I want to leave you with three principles, three personal principles They're mine, you won't find them in the Bible, I don't think. I know I didn't write any of the Bible. Uh, You might find this reflected in there some way, but these are my three personal principles that guide me. Uh, You might find them helpful. I hope that it starts and keeps a conversation going for us because I want to learn more as much from you as you learn from me and from one another. Let me give you three personal principles. Number one, welcome. Welcome welcome everyone safely. This is a little principle that I've got in mind. Every person that God brings across my path, I can approach them with a warm attitude, a kind-heartedness that notices them. Uh, That is something that God is growing in my heart and I hope that he grows more and a a good principle that that can be working out in all of us, that we welcome everyone, that we have a warm-hearted attitude towards everyone, but I want to say safely. Because it's not wise to put ourselves in danger or to put ourselves even in uncertain danger. Sometimes we'll be uncomfortable but we need not be unsafe. And so different ones of us will welcome different people in different kind of ways. Not all of us need to head off down dark alleys in Canberra winters seeking out homeless people. That is not safe for all of us. That is not safe for any one of us on our own. We need to welcome everyone safely for ourselves, turn up that kind-hearted warmth and then we will steer clear not of the homeless person, but we'll steer clear of the favouritism that might stop us from really loving our neighbour. Principle one welcome everyone safely. Church is a really good place to start that we try to do church as safely as we can but we don't know everything about everyone but this is a fairly, we, we create safe boundaries around our church communities, around our small groups, around our youth ministry, around our children's ministry. It's, it's, a, it's a safe place to be learning that warm-hearted, kind attitude of even welcoming people that I don't yet know their name, people who look differently to me, people who talk differently to me, people who dress differently. No, I don't see their dress difference anymore because in comparison to Jesus' glory, ha, taken away. Little side point there. Principle number two, this is a new one for me, this has only been cooking over the last 12 months or so, it's discern. Discern the next step that moves this person along in discipleship with Jesus. And depending on your church experience or the way you've been thinking for a little while, you might have a thought, like I do, coming out of a wonderful theological college, there's a difference between doing evangelism and preaching and social justice, of telling someone about Jesus and giving them a meal. Now, James wouldn't have that, James just puts it all in together. And I've tried to capture under this principle, discern the next step that moves this person along in discipleship with Jesus. So, the the lady with young children who comes across my path, who has been beaten up in a domestic violence situation, who is not a believer, moving her along in the next step with Jesus is not sitting down and telling her the gospel. She's not in a safe place to hear that. It's getting her and her children into a safe place, providing them with the things that they need warmth and love and acceptance so that in that safe place and in that safe relationship if the Lord wills is an opportunity to share Jesus. The person who comes to me week after week or month after month or even year after year asking for the same $20 to help them get their next meal who looks and sounds like enough in their story that they've got some addictions of, of life really not going well for them and they're, they're in a cycle. That's not good. The easy thing for me to do is give them $20 and I won't see them for another six months, 12 months, six weeks, whatever it is. I can get on with my day. I can get on with preaching and pastoring. But that $20, $50, $100, $200, $1,000 is not going to help this particular person. As much as I know their situation, take the next step along in discipleship with Jesus. I actually need to find a warm, kind-hearted way of taking the time to sit down with them and say, friend, hey, I, I want to help you out in the ways that you need help but I can see something else here can we have a talk about this can we connect up with somebody who who might be able to help break some of these cycles that are going around and around and around and spiraling down and down and down hey I know this guy Jesus he's real but you can't see him he's impacted history more than anybody else and he and he shapes my life more than anything else I'm not up here in the social class that I'm in because of my effort or that kind of thing or just avoided bad luck. Uh, I am where I am in life because of Jesus. Would you, would you like to know a bit more about him? That's principle two. Discern the next step that moves this person along in discipleship with Jesus. Here's my last one. Short, sharp, something I heard about a decade ago and it's not yet been exhausted in my life yet. Not a photo of me. It's Brock's photo. I don't think it's Brock either. Too much hair. And he drinks with his other hand. Be as generous to the poor as you are luxurious with yourself. Be as generous to the poor as you are luxurious with yourself. As a group, I think we live this out in our Christmas hamper project. Okay, at Christmas, a time where we particularly indulge in and enjoy and celebrate God's luxurious gifts to us in food and drink, but at the same time as being luxurious with ourselves, we're generous towards the poor. Uh, This last Christmas was the biggest Christmas hamper project we've pulled off. We've still got money in the bank for next year. We've still got food stored away that I've been able to give away during January. Well done. That's good. Compassion Child sponsorship Uh, as a group. As we raise children luxuriously in this world, whether their own or others uh, round about that we finance through our taxes and all that kind of thing, and that, that we just connect through and support family, as we luxuriously raise children in this world, in this uh, country, that we generously provide here through New Life, around about a hundred children in sponsorship in poor parts of the world. It's a great principle but it's to be a, a year-round mindset as we enjoy God's good and luxurious gifts that we keep thinking about how to generously share with the poor around about us. Welcome everyone safely. Discern the next step that moves this person along in discipleship with Jesus. Be as generous to the poor as we are, luxurious with ourselves. And this is faith that works. It's the subtle art of living well when the poor cross our path.